series on foundations. And uh, special thanks to Kim and to Drew for these last few Sundays. I don't know if you guys got to be a part of the last couple Sundays. Kim talked to us about this being a, a religious detox center. And uh, I don't know if she said those words specifically. Did she say them? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. Um, while Kate and I got away for our anniversary in Yalapa, uh, so we appreciate uh, Kim doing that. And then Drew uh, shared a, an awesome word last week about wholeness, how we are called to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, whole mind, all of our strength. And, and, um, and so in that is a call to wholeness that I believe as a family that we are responding to you. And that we have to hear that of what does it look like to not just spiritualize things, not to just take churchianity and rub it across our life, but to really open up our life and to healing us in every area and to the depths of that. And so this morning, as we wrap up this series, I wanted to talk about um, what it means to be a spiritual family. And so as our foundation piece at Living Waters, um, we are a, a spiritual family. And so um, it's only weird if you make it weird, right? If we're gonna, I mean, some of you have probably watched the, uh, maybe you've watched the documentary called The Family. Uh, has anyone seen that? I think it's on Netflix or something. Don't watch it. It's about this weird Christian cult that, anyway, they call themselves The Family. We're not weird like that. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm not the father and you have to stick, stay in the family no matter what. This is, it's not what we're aiming for, but we are aiming for that heavenly reality of being a family. And so this is when we, we wrote out our values. This is what we wrote. It's to be a new and better covenant people because in Jesus, God is creating a diverse yet united one new humanity. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2 that includes every tribe, every tongue as John prophesied in Revelation 7. He saw before Jesus, he saw every tribe, every tongue worshiping Jesus as he sat on the throne. Every race, every nation, every social and economic status, every cultural background, every, even every religious background, that we would be coming out of those places to be a family together. And so if we believe that Jesus is our peace... And that he has removed every wall of hostility and distrust and division between humanity. Then our call as a people locally, our best effort in him to allow ourselves to be called into this is that we too would be removing hatred and distrust and division first from our hearts and from our minds, but also from our lives within this community and with our com within our community at large and that we would function and operate and believe that we are a part of a spiritual family that reflects the intention of Jesus when he came and laid down his life and brought us into a new and better covenant, that we would be sons and daughters and that we would be set apart as a people for him. And so I want to start our discussion today by going back to the beginning and understanding that God in himself cannot have a, a more pure and perfect relationship than he has. He cannot be more at peace or in communion with himself than he already is. And that out of that perfect harmony, out of that perfect unity, he, we were created, as Genesis 5-2 says, God said, let us create man in our image, so male and female, he created them. And so if we are created, as Nisha was just singing, that we are created from perfect relationship and we are created for perfect relationship with God. 
And that's what we experienced at the beginning of the story in Genesis, that reality that was spoken of, of God coming and walking in the garden with his creation. I know it's impossible for us to imagine what that was like, but that is the beginning point of the story of God saying, I created you out of perfect relationship and I created you for perfect relationship. And he pursued them and he walked with them in the garden. And, and believing that and understanding that gives us such a powerful picture of what God was doing. That Genesis story, it shows us that we were created to reflect God's glory and have fellowship with him. And when that was lost in the fall, when that was taken away by our choices and by our mistakes, that's when God sent Jesus to redeem us and to reconcile us back into that perfect relationship that he desired and back into relationship with the Father. And as Paul talks about all throughout the New Testament, if you look at Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, you see that we are adopted back into God's family. When we come into relationship with Jesus, what takes place is that we have an awakening to the fact that we were always and will always be his sons and daughters. And as we recognize that we are sons and daughters, his spirit comes into us and calls us back into perfect relationship, calls us back into family, calls us back into adoption. And that's the spiritual reality that takes place. So when we pray, kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, as Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, I believe that the context for that kingdom arrival is family. And as we walk as people of intimacy, identity, inheritance, as we've talked about at the beginning part of this year, our lives are sustained in community and relationships that reflect this relationship of heaven. So any work that God does in our midst is going to be released and sustained through our relationship with one another. And how well we establish heaven's relational reality as our norm for how we operate, for how we grow, for how we live, for how we interact. God uses the imagery of family throughout scripture, throughout the New Testament for a reason. It is to strike our heart's call to be called home, to be home, to be sons and daughters. And so he uses the imagery of family because it is something that is wired into us to desire and to believe in. And that is why it's used over and over to reach our hearts and to express his desire for each one of you and for me. So what we want, what Kate and I want, what our team want, what our, what our family here, what our community here, what we want Living Waters is to be a place that we have the hearts of sons and daughters so that we can carry that mother, father, familial heart of God to others. So where there are fathers and mothers present, safety and significance is released as heaven's value is imparted to every single one of us. So what we want to do as a response to this as our foundation is that we want to learn and experience in deeper ways what it means to be a true spiritual family that reflects God's heart and releases dreams and passions and growth for people in our lives and around our lives. What does this look like practically? Because the relational reality of heaven on earth is family, we get to live it here and now. So this is the context where we love, we recognize, we serve, and we honor each other. We show the world around us how we love as sons and daughters and friends and mentors and moms and dads and even how generations love other generations. 
how a mom or a dad loves a son or a daughter and vice versa, and how a husband loves a wife and a wife loves a husband, or how, how we first love ourselves and then we extend that love to the people around us. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you. So in the new covenant, we were given a new commandment. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my followers, you are my disciples, if you love one another. So in this relational reality of heaven on earth, in family, we get to live that out here and now by loving one another powerfully and demonstrating to the world around us what it looks like to love each other well. Because the relational reality of heaven on earth is family, we steward an environment where we can all land and grow and flourish and where our story and unique experiences are honored. That's what we want here at Living Water. So beyond the physiological reality, humans' most basic needs are to be safe and secure, to be loved, and to belong. Which I love that we were singing that. And I know that we need food and water and shelter. But beyond that, our basic needs or to feel safe and secure, to be loved and to belong. Brené Brown has observed that the opposite of belonging is fitting in. Fitting in, she goes on to say, fitting in, you know what? I'm preaching up here. (laughs) I mean, I'm a good uh, 12, 13 minutes in, and I've gotten nothing out of you. And I give you one quote quote from Brené Brown. (laughs) It's so good. All right, just roll the YouTube. (laughs) Shoot. It is good. It is good, though. That's why I put it in here. It's awesome. She says the opposite of belonging is fitting in. Fitting in is assessing and acclimating. Here's what I should say or be. Here's what I shouldn't say. Here's what I should avoid talking about. Here's what I should dress like. Here's what I should look like. That is fitting in. So this fitting in, it robs our sense of being unique and still belonging as we are. Fitting in, that thing where we assess and we look around and we change to be able to have a place made for us is not what we want. We want you to be able to be you and not be, have to be like Ryan or Kate or anybody else that you see as you look around. And to be able to experience that is powerful because you are learning that that sense of belonging that you desire in family is not contingent upon you acting or talking or looking like anyone else other than honoring your true self and bringing your true self to bear into this community and into this family and finding that you too have a place at the table, that you too belong. And I get it. It is human nature that we are often far more comfortable with a place that requires fitting in. We want to be surrounded by people who think and act and even look like us. And while it's okay to have pockets of those friendships in our life, if that is all that we have, that is a danger zone that we have to be aware of. That is not what family looks like. And over the years, this has been a struggle for people. And it's something that I have had to, 
I don't know about butting heads, but it's a, it's a hill that we have had to say, this, is, this matters to us, that I'm not gonna stand up here and say, this is what I believe and you have to believe it too. This is what I think about everything that's going on and you have to think it too. And if you don't think it, you don't belong here and you don't have a place at Living Waters. To hold space for difficult conversations rather than dictations from the stage is a challenge that we all have to rise to. And it is frustrating to people. I get it. I remember a time when I was in the lobby during worship and someone came out and they were like, I can't worship in there anymore. And I'm like, whoa, why not? And they're like, the person next to me had some, they have some, I don't know, political button. It was like a I don't know what it was. I don't remember what it was. It doesn't matter. They have a political button and I don't agree with that. And and if they're in there, I can't be in there. And I'm like, what in the world have we created where we so deeply believe that every single one of us have to be in lockstep politically and, and, and even in our perspectives to be able to worship together as a family. We are on a journey of refinement. Not one of us has arrived. And there may be points along the journey where you believe some pretty wonky things and I'm not gonna try to fix every single one of those. I'm just gonna wait for enlightenment to reach you too. But along the way, I'm kidding, but along the way, as we all have these things that we believe, we're so emphatic. Okay, people, do this with me. Thought exercise, go back 10 years. Think about some of the things that you were so entrenched and emphatic about. You broke relationship over. You fought people over. You valued your ability to comprehend, understand, and articulate things a certain way greater than relationship and that your journey has left people behind that you would still be with because you've changed over those last 10 years. And we have to keep that longer perspective of relationship value in our hearts and our minds if we're truly going to be a family the way and a community the way that God desires us to be with Jesus at the center. Our desire here is to create conversations. And I know it's frustrating to people when they come to me or they come to a leader and they go, did you see what that person posted on Instagram? They're on this side of the spectrum. Or what about this thing they did? Or they said this thing, or they believe this thing. And instead of me going, oh no, let's get them out of the church. Let's uproot this evil before it spreads. (laughs) I will say to you, why don't you go have a conversation with them? Why don't you go find your connectedness in your relationship with Jesus or your love for this city or the way that you're struggling with raising kids or, or whatever it might be? Let's find some things that are more valuable to connect over instead of always looking for those little things that the world wants us to disconnect over. And so we will send you often to people and say, in a family like this, we, we have hard conversations with one another and we don't get to just look at your momentary lapse of, of um, I don't know, thought processing and you decide to lash out and say a bunch of things, fine, then let's go have a conversation about that and let's talk and let me hear the heart and let me get down to what you were feeling and what you're believing and where you're at and I will find that there is far more things for us to connect over spiritually and in, in our humanity than there is to divide over and so we wanna be a people who are listening to people 
finding commonality in our love for Jesus instead of building our relationships on disconnection or at least building cases against people around us in the room before we're ever connected with them in the first place. Is that how you experience family? Because that wasn't my experience of family. And I understand that everybody's experience of family is different, but one of the greatest gifts the most, that I am the most thankful for in my life is the gift of healthy family. And so it gives me an opportunity to stand in this place and say that will be the model that we build a church and a community and a family on. What if we listened to people instead of judged them? What if we heard another person's perspective as valuable and quite possibly more relevant than ours instead of slowly moving away from them because they think or believe differently than us? Many of you have come to me in this room and told me that you've experienced racism over and over and over again in this area. And I don't get to just say to you, oh, well, that's not true because that's not my experience. Your experience matters. Many of you have come and talked to me about church abuse Many of you have come and talked to me about the way that leaders have treated you. Many of you have talked to me even about sexual abuse that has happened in family or in church and your, your struggle with church is very real. And I could go, oh, well, that doesn't happen here or that hasn't been my experience and I can get defensive or I can listen and value your story because your perspective is different than mine. But it's not just about valuing someone else's perspective. It's about listening to them in a way that changes mine. <laughs> I don't get to tell Corey, who tells me on a regular basis, how intellect and higher education haven't been welcomed in faith communities. I get to listen to him. Because that firsthand experience trumps my opinion and it expands my perspective every single time. Which gives us a better ability to be a family that makes room where people can belong instead of just fitting in. And I believe that as we continue to establish a culture of family here, every single one of us and those who join us will feel secure and loved and home. And again, not in a weird way. We're like, we're family. You can never leave. Well, in healthy families, people go away. They pursue careers. They go to college. They do all kinds of things. It's like come and go, but the table is here. It's always open. You're always welcome. You know you have a place where you are seen and loved and valued. It's not the weird kind of family where you're in, and if you leave, you're out. No, that's a cult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because the relational, how are we doing? Doing good. Okay. Because the, I'm not talking to an invisible friend. It's a, I was just checking. <laughs> how are we doing? Good? We're doing good. I know. <laughs> that, that Brene Brown quote though, right? Huh? This is a good one. <sighs> if you're a part of a community that is not, that you're not able to leave it's hard to say this. Maybe, 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 maybe. It's, it's important. It's not, I just don't want to overgeneralize and, and end up saying something unhealthy. Sometimes people are so excited about us joining their family, their community, their life, their church, 
but then we find it difficult um, to be celebrated or championed as we go out or as we are, are called into a different place or to, to, to go do other things or to be a part of a different community. And I want to make sure that I can't, I can't speak for anybody else, but I want to make sure that we are a place that celebrates you coming, celebrates the space for you, that always holds a space for you, but also loves you and champions you and values you as you go even if your going isn't on perfect terms. I've been, I've been at this for 20-something years. It's not always on perfect terms. But you know what? I don't like the feeling of like, if you're in, you're loved, and as soon as you feel like you need to go do something else, I don't even know that person. I don't want that to be our reality. That's not what family does. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's not what healthy family does. Because the relational reality of heaven on earth is family, we are able to break out of the culture around us of independence, of isolation, and of self-protection. So isolation often masquerades as self-reliance and independence. That was better than Brené Brown, I thought. It's, it's, whatever. You're not listening. Stop it. No, no, I'm... Isolation often masquerades as self-reliance and independence. And because our culture celebrates self-reliance and independence, many of us have been caught in isolation. When our lives look full and busy, but we truly feel alone, that is a red flag that we must heed. In my own journey this year with loss and with grief, the most important texts that I've sent are the ones when it would have been so easy not to reach out. But those are the important ones when it's like, I've got this. I can, I can take care of myself. I will figure this out. But to be able to have men or friends around my life that I can reach out to and say, today is a low or this week is a low or I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. And they're not trying to fix me. They are listening and hearing me. And it would be so easy to isolate myself and go, it's, I don't need to send that text. I'm okay. I don't need to send that text. But I can, I'm okay myself into spiritual, emotional disconnection that ends up on a road of isolation where I am then justifying bad habits, self-medicating and numbing in a way that God doesn't want me to at all. That's the power of family is that they're around us in those hardest times and they're calling us out of those places of self-isolation and independence that we want so are, that we are so tempted to step into. So a brief example, if you'll allow me to pick on men for just a second on this, on this concept of independence and isolation and self-protection. Most men don't have a lot of friends. There's studies that show that, that only about 15% of men have, have close, don't have, oh, sorry, let me say this again. Recent studies show that 15% of men have no close friends. So when we look at the human condition, Healthy people have four, five, or six close friends that they lean on, that they can reach out to, that will support them, and that they support each other. That is men and women alike. But as we're studying men in our present culture, only slightly more than one in four have that number of close friends today. 
So I'm not here to pick on men because I believe that this is something that every single one of us in the room have to look at. It is a gift if you have four or five or six close friends that you can rely on, that you can share with, that you can count on, that have your back, that are listening to you, championing you, praying for you, and supporting you. If you don't have that, I'm not here to shame you or say that you are failing. I am simply asking myself included, to look at my life and say, are there ways that I, are there places where I have stepped into independence and isolation and that lie of being able, to, I can do this myself, but I, as I said, I can convince myself that I'm okay all the way to the point where I have not only gone from not okay to now I am completely on the road to burnout or blowout or failure. And so as men and as women, as a family, I believe that God has placed us here to be able to step outside of our comfort zones, outside of our norm, and to open up our lives and to be available to relationship. And I don't like going to that particular group. I don't like men's things. I don't like women's things. I don't like this. I don't like that. Uh, me either. I get paid to go, so I go. <laughs> I'm kidding. I never, ever like them. When they show up on the calendar, I'm like, ah, I love them when I'm in the midst of them. I love them when I get out of myself and my excuses and my stuff and I show up. And I begin to make connections with other men. Like, I can go, this is dumb. What are we doing? We're going to play cards. Like, <laughs> Which we are going to play cards on Friday night if you guys want to come. I think it's back in the room. What time's it at? Uh, seven seven o'clock. Let's say seven o'clock. That may be wrong. 6.30. And here's what we're going to do, guys. <laughs> So guys, we're gonna play poker, and I know you're freaking out. If you're religious and you've been in a different, different background, you're like, what is going, what just happened? I was in church, and now I'm in a casino. Oh. <laughs> so guys, we're gonna, we're gonna play cards, and here's the thing. You're, you're gonna bring money, and you're gonna buy in, and then you're not gonna get any money out of it, because we're gonna take all the money of buying in, and we're gonna give that to the kids to go to camp, and we're gonna give them, we're gonna give them scholarships. So it's our way of being like, come do something fun, give me your money, and we're gonna kids, send kids to camp to have their lives changed, but it gives a chance for men. So my point is, what are we talking about? I don't like them until I'm there, but in the midst of them, I see the value of going, I just stepped out of my comfort zone, my excuse, my busyness, my schedule, and now I'm making connections with men that I wouldn't make otherwise. And it's very possible that one of those connections becomes one of my true friends that, that is one of those, those guys that is in my life and, and gets to stand with me and I get to stand with them. But if I just sit at home doing my own thing, that's not going to happen. I've gotta, we have to have ways to reach out. And I believe that's why we're in a family. It's why God is calling us into this family, this this kingdom family, this countercultural, where we know our need for him and we know our need for relationships. We recognize our weakness and we lean into communal strength. We lean into transparency and we lean into family. We've had community groups breaking up because of political differences. And that breaks my heart because I have believed for years and I've been teaching this for years 
from before Trump became president. I saw this. The Lord spoke to me about this. You can go back and listen to the messages. Uh, about a year and a half before the first election, the Lord spoke to me about the way that this was going to bring division into the church. And I'm not speaking negatively or directly against Trump. I'm talking about the Lord showing me this is what is ahead. And from that moment on, I have been teaching about kingdom first. Kingdom over country even. Kingdom over political party even. Kingdom over whatever the causes are. And we've been talking about this and we've been teaching about this. Not in a way that diminishes our political um, beliefs or, our, or, our, or our, our values on those things or the feeling that you guys have that we have of saying this can make a difference. I am all for that. But when those things that are secondary become primary and we do divide over the things that are secondary because we have lost the heart of the things that are primary. We have lost our way. That is not kingdom. That is not family. And that is not what should be taking place. Our community groups should not be breaking up because there's people in them from different political spectrums who love Jesus. That should be a place where we invite each other in deeper to intimacy, deeper to knowing each other, deeper to hearing one another, and that we learn to pray together and worship together and break bread together and have fellowship together and do life together with people who are pursuing Jesus with us, even if some of their secondary perspectives are different than ours. Right? And so I'm not... I'm not saying that to scold those particular community groups. I am saying that just to illustrate the depth of pain in my heart as a leader that I feel when we allow ourselves to divide over things that are not centered on Jesus and are not kingdom. That's not what family does. Philippians 2, Paul saying this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or for appearance sake. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interest but each of you to the interest of others. That's what family looks like. So family creates an environment where we belong. Family creates an environment where we can grow and flourish. Family creates an environment where we recognize our need for others. Family creates an environment where we lay down our differences and we keep the primary thing primary and the secondary things secondary. Family creates an environment where generations can run together. Not one generation handing the baton to the next generation, but truly all generations. If we're alive, we aren't a part of the great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews speaks of. And we don't get to say, oh, well, I'm just here to witness the next generation run and I'm handing off the baton. If you're here, you're in the race. And we do have a great cloud of witnesses that are watching us run. But if you're alive, you're in the race. So it has to be every generation running together and glorifying God together and using our gifts to, uh, to champion and to establish and to celebrate one another, that we have that same heart that Jesus had that said, you will do greater things than I have done. That if we have generations that are looking at the next generation saying, I want to give you everything I have. I want to give you everything I've experienced. I want to share with you every gift and everything so that you can flourish and you can 
carry on doing those great things. So family creates this environment where generations can run together. And family creates an environment where our own family wounds and deficiencies are healed. So all of this I'm talking about to you this morning. You're saying, oh, it sounds great. Why is it so difficult? It's difficult because so few of us have seen and experienced healthy family in our culture. And because so often churches and religion, be nice, Ryan, I'm being nice. Okay. (laughs) Because church and religion so often can exploit or prey on family wounds instead of helping people heal from them. You don't need a spiritual mother or father to replace the failure in your life. You need to have that relationship healed. And too often in church, we're saying, oh, what you need is a spiritual mother and father because you've been failed in your relationship with your earthly mother and father. And so we just disconnect our pain from that earthly failure and we attach a need to someone who's supposed to be a spiritual mother or father. It is such an unhealthy, I'm gonna stop. (laughs) I love churches around us everywhere. And I know you guys love particular churches too, so I have to be very careful, but spiritual mothering and fathering is one of the grossest, most unhealthy things that I can imagine if it allows us to bypass the deeper healing work that needs to take place in that relationship to force an adoption on ourselves or to force adopt somebody spiritually to be a mother or the father or you're my spiritual mother or father. No, let's, let's not do any of that. Let's just have our relationships, our family relationships healed so that we can carry a mother, father anointing and release that to others and say, you are sons and daughters. You're not my son or daughter. You are the father's son and daughter. And when I carry a whole relationship, a healthy relationship or a healed relationship out of a relationship that will never be healthy, but I'm walking healed, then what I do is I impart, I carry heaven's perspective to everyone that I meet and you will feel God's heart that you are a son and that you are a daughter and that you have a place at the table. Not my table and you're not my son or daughter. You are the father's son. You are the father's daughter and you have a place at it. So as I am healthy and you are healthy, you release and impart that to people around you. I took too long to share that. Dang it, does that make sense? Am I, am I, you tricked me, you all tricked me. Okay, family wounds. Wounds from our, from our family of origin are a reality. In Christ, our family of origin has shifted, but the wounds can still remain, right? So the good news is, the place of greatest wounding holds the potential for our greatest healing. And God's plan and design and heart for you is to place the lonely and the exiled and the scattered into his family. Psalm 68, six tells us this. God's heart is to place the lonely, the exiled and the scattered into family. Let me tell you this. If you are married or if you are single, understand this. Marriage isn't God's highest relational goal for you. Family is. Family is. He wants us all to experience this family that he has been pursuing. He created us out of, he established us in, and he returned us to that we would be sons and daughters, that his spirit in us, we cry out, Abba, Father, 
That's what happens. And we get to experience the sonship and the daughtership. And we get to go back to the places of woundedness and see the healing take, pla- take place. Family wounds create a fear of trusting, a fear of rejection, a fear of uh, an abandonment, a fear of opening our hearts to love. But God invites us into the opposite. And then he invites us as a community, as individual families and individuals to give away his heart of sonship, daughtership, of family to the people around us. And so as we look at this week, and we've got about five minutes left, and, and maybe I'll post a few points of, I love taking people through this exercise. When we talk about family, I want you to hear this, and I'm gonna write this down. God knew you before you were ever conceived in your mother's womb. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. You have never been alone and you are not an accident. Psalm 22, yet you are he who did not bring me from the womb. You made me trust Are you not he who brought me from the womb? You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. You have never been alone and you are not an accident. And although you may feel as though you've been emotionally rejected, abandoned, or orphaned by your parents, God does not leave you in this condition. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. A father to the fatherless. God makes a home for the lonely. And he says, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is his heart for us. And this is the heart that we give away. And as we're looking at what um, took place this week in Texas and what is continuing to take place in our nation, I know that we don't have all of the solutions and I'm not gonna just say, oh, well, blanket statement, blanket statement, problem fixed, not at all. But I do believe that one of the solutions that we see is that finding the lonely, the exiled, and the abandoned and bringing them into our families and opening our homes and seeing young people and making a difference and opening ourselves up to them is a powerful solution. And so for these last five minutes, I wanna leave you with a story and food for thought and just a challenge for the way that you are pursuing the one that God might put in your path. Corey, will you come and, and, and take a few minutes and just share your story? This is Corey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Hello. I, uh, this came up like, uh, I don't know, five minutes into worship. So uh, it's not prepared, and it's a very difficult. It's weird being in this. I like this spinning around thing. <laughs> they did a lazy Susan that just automatically, so I could just... So I'm, I've done this, so I'm going to be awkward, but uh, so I, I prepared some notes, and I'm, this, is, this is a very, very challenging subject, uh, especially right now, very difficult. I'm going to try to hold together, but uh, so I was that messed up kid. We hear about the stories of the people who were affected by violence of this nature that would happen in Texas. I was on the other side. I was one of those kids that was so screwed up, isolated, alone, and just in a dark place that I actually thought about this kind of thing a lot, right? And uh, we talk about family, like, uh, you know, it's really hard to say that, (laughs) to like vocalize that, because there's a stigma like, oh, you're like, that's, that's like, really beyond crazy right there but I was that guy I was I was that I was that kid I was that kid I was there 
uh, you know, I don't want to go into all, like, the reasons and stuff, but, like, Ryan, Ryan talked about, like, you know, church stuff. Like, you know, I was isolated at a very young age because my sister was uh, kidnapped and raped by our youth pastor at our, the church we were at, right? So from that point right there, boom, I was disconnected from every system had failed so miserably for me. And so I just retreated in my own mind. And in your own mind, when you're alone, without God, without Christ, uh, you're, you're, you create your own hell. That is, that is where hell exists. That's where it resides. You need that connection. Without it, you're, I, I don't even want to paint the picture because I don't have enough time. So that, that happened. So I, I had kind of like joined forces. I had found the other misfits, you know, in my, in my group. We wore black trench coats. This was like before any school shooting. Like we would do the, the trench coat thing. We listened to KMFDM. We did all these things that were like, you know, played the violent video games. And we talked about this kind of thing. It wasn't weird to us. We were so isolated. We were the misfits. And, uh, and then one of the kids in our group, uh, you know, Halloween, we were dressed up as a, you know, like a trench coat. So like just be a little... Hooligans, and he, he, after that, his mom kind of saw some stuff, so he, they, he moved to uh, Springfield. And then he, he got, he was, the, he was the kid that got shot. He was the first victim of the shootings in, the, in, in, in this pet pandemic. That was 25 years ago, so this is 25 years into this pandemic. 25, it is a pandemic, right? Two, two, two people, two, a couple people in our congregation, in our, in our church family here, were in the cafeteria when that happened, right? So they were there. They, they saw my friend get shot, the first one in this school shooting. So that all to tell you that I was in a horrible place, and there was so easy for people to just dismiss me, drive me further into it, Right? And then there were people like Janice, Janice Nelson over there, 25 years ago, she jumped in there, she was uh, one of those people that I connected with, she, anything about, she could have said like, uh, you know, I don't want this guy anywhere near my daughters, like Kate, Kate was like such a awesome human being to me, the Southmaids, I lived across the street from the Southmaids when this happened, they watched me go from a good kid to a monster, and then they took me in anyways, against any judgment, any better judgment. They took me back in. They took me in. We lived across the street, and they, we reconnected. They brought me to church. My first youth group was after taking LSD and shooting a gun in my parents' bedroom. They took me in after that. <laughs> after that. <laughs> that is something incredible that they would do. And so when I think of the, the, the passion of the 99 and the one, we think of the 99, why does Jesus leave, why would the shepherd leave the 99 to save the one? Because the 99 are secure and it's the one that needs it, right? It's the 99 are good in the pasture. They're safe for the moment. There's an extreme situation and they have to go and get that one. And I was that one, and they, they did it. And so when we talk about, like, what you can do, like, this was, and, and Jesus is going to do a miracle, and there's going to be something, and it's going to happen. The miracle is real, and it's manifested in the people 
in this community. <laughs> like, it's not a, like, oh, I'm waiting for some, like, bolt of lightning. It's like, no, Dale and Mary and Matt and Andy and Eric lived across the street, and they listened to Jesus, and they heard the Holy Spirit, and they said, we're going to take this guy in our minivan to church anyways, even though he's a crazy. <laughs> we're going to do it. We're going to bring him in. And so, you know, that's where I got to meet people like Pete. We traveled around the world for a year together, and Ryan and Dallas and Linda and everybody. It's just the, the family was extremely important, and it was the manifestation of Christ in people that made it real. It was Seinfeld save, hand on a high note. There you go. Okay. So it matters, you guys, it matters. For Corey, it matters for stories, but it matters for every single one of us. Family, family matters. Also a great show. It's how my brain works, I'm sorry. Let me pray for us. I'm sorry. Jesus, let us be an amazing family. Imperfect, growing, learning, listening sharing perspectives, keeping you at the center of all of our relationships so that we can continue to come together over the greater thing, even as we watch some of the secondary things pull at us, but we would, stay, we would remain connected over you. God, would you also show us what it looks like to be a family that welcomes in, that opens our homes and our hearts, and I'm not just talking about this room, this sanctuary. We, we do not bring...